Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. We're back for another special episode in this off-season, but this time, you know what, we're just not going to talk about Formula 1, and that's because there was something that was just, quite frankly, a lot more interesting last year, and as blasphemous as that might sound to all of you, it was IndyCar. And I am one of your hosts, Timo Daily, and joining me this week to discuss everything IndyCar 2022 is friend of the podcast, Jacob Phillips. How are you, Jacob? Timo, thank you very much for having me on board today. I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. Can't complain. 2023's got off to a decent start so far, even if it does feel like Sunday was about three years ago already. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? I think we're still in that sort of time whereby I'm not quite sure what the day is, but I'm back to work next week. So I'm sort of getting there and trying to get up a bit earlier in the morning. So reality is starting to hit me a little bit. But what better way to start the day than talking about motorsport? Definitely. And just pretend on Monday morning that you're getting up to watch the Australian Grand Prix and that might make it a little bit nicer for you, even if it doesn't quite happen with the crushing reality of what you'll actually be doing. I don't think anyone's going to wake up at 4am for work, Timo, but we'll see. (laughs) You're a very dedicated teacher. Anyway, IndyCar is what we're here to talk about, not Jacob's career. So we're just going to get straight into it. And IndyCar is something that you and I have both kind of had a look at before, but we haven't really watched a full season of. But for some reason, last year, we decided to do that. I know why I did, but I'm not going to go straight there. So I'll throw it to you, Jacob. Why did you decide to give IndyCar a proper go last year? Um, Well, I'm sure the reason will be fairly similar to you. Um, My history with IndyCar is, I don't really have a history, really. You know, I've watched, you know, the odd race here and there. Um, I never found it too interesting. I kind of had it on the background. I didn't really understand a lot of the rules, maybe. A lot of it was quite Americanized, which I found quite corny. But the main reason, the main reason is, and, you know, some viewers may be surprised to learn. Some viewers who watched F1 closely last year will not be surprised to learn at all. It's because, you know, I wanted some entertainment on my Sundays and I really wasn't getting any entertainment on my Sundays. And what worked quite nicely with the calendar was, you know, the you'd have your F1 in the morning or the afternoon sort of till four or five o'clock. And then at eight o'clock, you'd have another race. You'd have the IndyCar series to watch. And I was left feeling like I a bit empty let's say after the F1 races so I thought I need some entertainment I need something good to watch here so I switched on the IndyCar I think the first race was in St Petersburg I think it was or Texas yep. something like that St Petersburg um, yeah St Petersburg I immediate thought, confusion on my part thinking what are they doing in Russia and then realised oh no never mind it's just one of those American things where they've taken the name from somewhere um, else and applied it to their own Sochi <laughs> flashbacks but um no, yeah, I watched the uh, race in St. Petersburg. Um, I think McLaughlin won it, if I remember rightly. Um, my memory is a little bit tainted on the season because it all moulded into one. But yes, I thought this is quite good. I thought cars are overtaking each other. This is what should be happening in F1 every week. You know, I know the new rules were brought in in F1. And we've discussed it, you know, several times, but it just seemed like good, harmless, good, harmless entertainment, really, with a bit of Americanization thrown in, which, you know, we're getting with F1 anyway, so no different, really. Yeah, to build on that, it was a combination of not feeling cheated out of entertainment from F1, but feeling like there was definitely a a quality lacking there in terms of overtaking, if nothing else. And IndyCar kind of proved, why not? Let's have a look at it. It's on the same day, as you say, and it's in the evening, nice way to wind down if you've gone out between races and just want to have something to, to fall back on before Monday comes around again. But again, this year in particular, I just found that for me, there were a number of drivers in there where... 
they were familiar to me either because they'd either been in F1 before or they'd been in one of the junior formula or I'd just seen them from somewhere else. I mean, for example, you've got Roman Grosjean, Christian Lungard, Takuma Sato, Keller Mylott, Tachana Calderon as kind of the main ones for me that they're like, okay, yeah, I know these people and I don't know how well they're going to do. A couple of them were in their rookie years in IndyCar and let's just have a little look at it. And what's the worst that happens? I've wasted a couple of hours, so I might as well take a look at it. And like you say, from that first race in St. Petersburg and you have the Texas Speedway after that, if memory serves, it was some good solid racing. And like you say, for something to have on in the background and pay rough close attention to uh, probably a bit more as the season went on, it was quite entertaining. And we actually kind of had what we wanted from Formula One in that, I think coming into the last race, if we fast forward all the way to Laguna Seca, it was still mathematically possible for someone between five and seven of the drivers to win the title. And obviously the further down that list you got, the more tricky it would be. But the fact that it was still a mathematical possibility was a damn sight better than anything we got in Formula One. <laughs> so I was taking those odds every day on that one. And while the, the race, the final race may have been a little, I mean, willpower spoilers didn't run away with, with it there and he didn't win the race, but it was very... It was still quite entertaining. It was kind of more, it was kind of like a heightened Abu Dhabi in the sense it's like, yeah, it's the last race of the year, but there is still very much everything to play for. And the lack of excitement was made up for by the fact that this race does actually matter. So whilst it may not be the most exciting to watch, we still have a lot that, there's still a lot that could happen here. And you only need one thing to go wrong for one of the drivers for that to bring someone else completely back into the game again. And I think for both of us, that's exactly what we, we wanted from some racing. Yeah, I mean, you're forgetting one name there, Timo. You forgot to mention the Marcus Ericsson, of course. I know, I saw the name just as I was looking through the drafts. How did I forget about the legend? (laughs) And at one point was favourite to win the IndyCar title, but favourite to win the IndyCar title is, um, well, it's a guessing game, really, as you said there, Timo. Five to seven drivers could have won on the final day, I think. Thinking back, F1 knowledge, I think we only got that at once in 2010 in Abu Dhabi. So, you know, at very best, you're going into the last race in Abu Dhabi with two drivers, obviously, for Staff and Hamilton last year. This year, it was wrapped up by... Well, it was wrapped yeah. up by the summer, really, wasn't it? So oh, yeah. it was really <laughs> if we're going to talk about it, it like that. <laughs> really refreshing to see. Um, I think Alex Pelot won the last race, but obviously Will mm. Powell wrapped up the title. And interestingly, actually, this is how competitive it is. You're touching on a few of the statistics here will power i think only won one race yeah detroit Detroit. yeah he won in detroit um new garden finished second he won five races which in f1 Mm. terms is still not very many i think leclerc won four and he was miles off but i think he only finished 14 points behind or correct me if i'm wrong the team about that wasn't it or within the within 20 points i think he finished behind and then you had yeah. um, Scott Dixon was up there and he won a few races, but maybe no more than two or three. So it just shows there was a good spread across the field as well. Pat of Award won a race. You had Polo won one race, was the um the last race. The very sport. last one, but at least you get won, one in there. One race. And Rossi won a race and um Colton Herter won, you know, only one race. So yeah, I mean, nice if you look at that, it's, you've got different nine players. different race winners over the course of the season, which when you've got someone like just Newgarden winning five of the five of those races, it makes that statistic even more impressive there. Um, granted, a few of those, it was only one race here or there. But again, it's nice that you've got that extra level of spice in there somewhere. I mean, you, you again, I don't want to keep talking about Formula One, but you kind of, you got one for so, yeah, Carlos Sainz, you got one for George Russell, you got a couple for Perez, and okay, four or five isn't bad, but 
you know, it's not nine. And that's kind of more of what we were expecting in 2022 as a comparison. And this is IndyCar where, as far as I'm aware, and please correct me if I'm wrong, if you know anything, bear that I don't, but there wasn't anything major technically in terms of an overhaul for 2022 in IndyCar. That was just business as usual. So to get that, it was was very nice. It was was very nice. Um, Going into a race, really, it's, you know, it's always nice with that lack of, understand i think the lack of understanding for us was enjoyable because we didn't know what to expect which is always nice i think with f1 we know what to expect in some regards also the fact we didn't know who was going to win was also very nice that you know lack of predictability was was a nice sort of treat as on, on a sunday evening um yeah five winners in f1 last year i mean if you're to believe lawrence barretta i mean we're going to get the nine winners next year in f1 team but uh, i can't i mean I can't i'm an optimistic person but i don't see that happening <laughs> I mean, in, I can't remember a season. I think 2012, we had eight different winners, seven from the first seven races, and then Raikkonen won in Abu Dhabi. So we, we got close to it in F1, but that was a freak season. I mean, next year, we'll, we'll get six winners, I think. I think each one of the top three teams will win a race, and then beyond that, we might get the odd one, but I don't think we will. So, yeah, it's very nice. And there was a few other names going down the list as well that we're familiar with, I think. Juan Pablo Montoya entered the 500. And that's one thing, actually. If you're listening to this podcast and you've never watched IndyCar before, um, the Indy 500 is a big, a big, big deal. And it's compared to the Monaco Grand Prix. But I think, Timo, to be honest, the um, the Indy 500 is a bigger deal. I know it's all part of the Triple Crown, but I'd say the Indy 500 is a bigger spectacle, is, has more prestige attached to it than Monaco. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a curious one because you can understand why it's obviously part of the Triple Crown along with Monaco and Le Mans. But I think where Monaco kind of, not to belittle Monaco, but why it's in the third place on that one for me is because with the other two, like in the IndyCar here, as, we, as we're talking about with Juan Pablo Montoya, anyone can just kind of come in just for that one race. And you did get one, two, three, four, five, seven drivers, I think, just come in for that one race. And then you didn't see them again for the rest of the IndyCar season. And I don't know how that would work in Formula 1 if you just entered... Um, if you just got individual entries for there and they weren't team associated necessarily, like you could rent a car from Mercedes, for example, but you wouldn't any points that you got wouldn't contribute to their constructors. It would just be an individual driver. And you can be in the standings, but because you're only there for Monaco, you're not really going to have a big impact on the overall championship. Um, but it was really interesting to see who would come out for that. I mean, if I'm just looking at the list there, you've got people like Stefan Wilson, Sage Karen, Marco Andretti, You've got Juan Pablo Montoya, as we said, J.I. Hildebrand, and Santino Perucci, Ed Carpenter, and then my favourite, because of the result he managed to achieve there, Tony Cannon. He just, again, he's, a, he's an IndyCar legend from what I can gather, and my history yes, on him yeah. is, is not perfect, and I apologise for that, but just comes out of nowhere, does the Indy 500, comes third, leaves again. Brilliant. And he's already signed up for next year's race as well. I know, it's just like, you've got to do one race a year. I mean, I know he does other stuff in between, but it's not IndyCar and can just get in the car and still be there. And in racing driver terms, he's getting on a bit. Well, you never know, team. I think Mika Hacken's still on his uh, sabbatical, so maybe he'll come back. (laughs) Well, with how close McLaren and Andretti are, there's got to be a seat there for them somewhere. Mm. Um, Well based on sort of current goings on, I mean, it's so hard to get an 11th team even into F1, so I don't think we're ever going to manage to I get I meant one. for IndyCar for the Indy 500, but... Oh, of course, yeah, no, I see what you mean. Oh, sorry, yeah, I see what you mean there. But yeah, go on to the point of, you know, just entering a race. I think, you know, 
I don't know how practical it would be if you could just enter the Monaco Grand Prix as a one-off. I mean, the technical rules are so stringent, as we know. The FIN, FOM are very sort of stringent to let anyone else in, like we're seeing with Andretti into F1. So, yeah, I don't know how practical that would be. But it's very interesting to see you know, how anyone can rock up. I mean, some people create a team just for that race. Imagine that, you know, you put mm. all your eggs into that one basket. There is more an offer for the 500 but it just shows the level of prestige and I remember watching it years ago that was the only race I'd probably watch I mean I'm not the biggest fan of ovals anyway they are quite dangerous but there's a, there's a thrill there's a thrill attached and you know I think I watched it out of the prestige but I can't tell you much in history about it but that was certainly the race if I did watch IndyCar back in the day it would have been the 500 no definitely and I think as well the only kind of time I've properly sat down at least watched highlights from it was when Fernando Alonso uh, took part in it didn't go too well for him but it was again having that skin in the game as as I keep saying on multiple podcasts now about different people um it, it was just a good reason to to sit down and have a look at something a bit different and you kind of need that if you're going to appeal to an audience outside of America with IndyCar it's it's a championship that thrives quite well as it is domestically and doesn't need the outside support in ways that other championships do it goes up to canada a couple of times in a season but it doesn't really go anywhere else aside from america but that's perfectly fine it does a really successful job of of doing that and you don't really have anything else quite like that anywhere else in the world from what i can gather i mean obviously there's a lot of countries where they've got their own championships. You've got, say, for example, British Formula 4, Spanish Formula 4. They've got Super Formula in Japan, these kinds of things. But none of them are um, yeah. at all to this, this this scale and to this success. And like you say, to just come in and do that for one race, heightened that even more. And then on the points front, they've got even more points on offer there for that one race. And that was how Mark Erickson was able to catapult himself into first place, I think, after that race and become a title yeah. contender and even if you don't become a the champion after that as a result it does spice the championship up suitably and because of the prestige associated with that race such a big deal is made out of you like Marcus Ericsson has just suddenly become racing royalty for winning an Indy 500 and you you rewind back to his F1 days and you tell someone that then you feel like what the hell have you been smoking Exactly. It just shows that, you know, if you're not successful in F, you can find it elsewhere as well. We've seen it with a few other drivers as well. Alexander Rossi, I think, did a season in F1, or certainly a few races in 2015. Yeah. Um, you had, obviously, Grosjean, who never achieved great success. A few podiums in 2013, up to 2015. But he's had, I think he had a podium last year in Long Beach, if I remember correctly. That crazy track. Yeah, the, um, yeah. and he got close again with the fourth which... place in... Uh... Road America, I think it was. So he's, he's still yeah, not got that not... win, but I think he's. It's it's. If I'm going to be so bold and skip ahead slightly and make a 2023 prediction, I would love to have Grosjean get a win there because he's been very close a number of times, and it's just trying to find that last little bit. I think I think it's certainly possible. Who knows? You know, if Eric can do. It, I'm sure Grosjean could win the 500. <laughs> so who knows? So then. Obviously, we're talking about we've got drivers that we know and we've been learning a bunch of other drivers that we didn't know really too much before we'd heard about. Which, let's say, three drivers from the entire spectrum that were in IndyCar this year, which ones impressed you the most? Which ones impressed me the most? Well, I have to go Will Power, really. I think he had a fantastic season. It's only win one race and win the championship is a big feat considering his nearest competitor won five. 
He did get a spate of podiums, which, as we talk with the junior categories, you know, Formula 2, Formula 3, on the F1 side, you know, consistency is key. And, you know, he got far more top three, top four, top five than his nearest competitor. So that level of consistency, I don't think he had a retirement as well across the whole season, which is quite impressive considering they're racing ovals as well. It's very easy to crash on those tracks. So I think that level of consistency really impressed me going forward and he was able to get a second championship, which is always very good. Uh, Who else impressed me? Um, Alex Pelot, he's been sort of rumoured in and around one circuit for quite a while now. I think um, McLaren have got him on board with some tests, if I'm correct there. Yes. He did get a few podiums in the last race, which which he was building up towards. You know, he got second place in the first race. He got one in... um, Few of the other tracks as well. Um, he got a third place in Nashville, and to finally win the race in Laguna Seca, which is not an easy track to master at all. I mean, I'd love if one to go there, not that it'd be very practical, but <laughs> certainly that race is a fantastic spectacle. To see him win a race as well and sort of prove what people have been saying, and you know, people have said that he's a good driver. I wasn't too aware of him before watching IndyCar, so it was good to see that those sort of predictions were backed up with results, which is quite nice as well. And ooh, who are I'm going to go for. I'm going for Christian Lennard, rookie of the year, um, in 14th place in the championship. Not the greatest season, but he got a few points results, which is good. He managed to get a um, podium as well, second place in the Indy Grand Prix two, or the second of the Indy Grand Prix, way around the old Grand Prix track in the middle of Indianapolis, I think. So it was good to see him come across from. You know, he's not racing Formula One, but he did obviously race in Formula Two. So it was good to see him come across from from Europe, you know, and prove what. We believed him, or we knew in Formula Two. He was he was a very consistent driver, wasn't he? So it's was good to see him translate those results from F2 into IndyCar. No, definitely. I do recall in his final year in Formula Two, he just had some of the worst luck that you've ever seen associated with a driver. And it was incredibly unfair because the previous season he'd done such a good job. And you were thinking again, maybe he'd be a title contender for Formula Two. And then because of how cutthroat that can be at times and how how much worse that can be for your chances to get into F1, for him to have that chance scuppered was was brutal. So it was great to see him doing so well in his first year in Japan. And obviously, like you say, rookie of the year there. So it's it's not difficult to see why you chose him there. As for me, I've got to agree with Will Power on being one of the top three drivers for, for two reasons. One of which being, I'm just looking at the results there, there's only three races where he finished outside the top 11. And Whilst, which we'll talk about in a second, one of the curious things in IndyCar is that regardless of where you finish, you will get points. And so he would still get points for 15th place, which he got twice, and 19th, which he got once. That level of consistency, like you say, is just absolutely key. And as nice as winning races is, as Joseph Ugan found out, you can win five and it's still not going to be enough if you don't have those other other performances. I mean, if we look at Joseph Newgarden, first few races, 16th, first, first, 14th, 25th, 13th, then back up again. But then... By that point, you could argue that it's already perhaps too late when you compare that to Will Power, who's got third, fourth, 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 third, 15th, first, 19th, third. So it's just, again, staying within that top level and not necessarily knowing, oh, sorry, knowing that you don't necessarily have to have to win. You just need to make sure you get a decent bag of points every time there. Um, as for other drivers that impressed me, ew, tricky, tricky. Because, again, some drivers had flashes of of excellence and Callum Eilat in particular he had a couple of good races and again for a rookie season it wasn't too bad I mean again he again he was pretty consistent even if it was a bit lower down um, but again it was nice to see that he was able to to settle into a new championship again away from the world of F1 a bit and, and make things work and 
Oh, I just realised I didn't say the second reason for putting Will Power up in my top thing, and that's because uh, I would very much like to interview him, and he keeps liking my Instagram posts and that, and then disappearing again. Uh, I'd like to know what that's about. So if you're listening, Will, then uh, could you just reply to my messages? Thank you very much. Um, as for the other driver that impressed me the most, again, I, I've got to go back to Tony Cannon just for that third place in, Indy, in the Indy 500 because it's just... It seems like such a Kimmy thing to do, and it's nice to see someone else do that. Yeah, yeah, it was great to see him. I think he won the. Um, I'm, so, I'm certainly think he's an IndyCar champion. If I'm if I'm right, um, he certainly won the. I know he's won the Indy 500 before as well. I think 2013, and he's um, won. Well, doing a bit of cheating here. I am looking. He won the 2004 <laughs> IndyCar championship. So, not we're not experts yet, but you know, certainly showing there that he's certainly got the pedigree in the sport. He's already won a championship, and to win two Indy 500s is no mean feat at all, considering you have you know up to 40 entries. So. He's mm. certainly rolling rolling back the years, and it was great to see, you know, getting a third place. I mean, it wouldn't have been expected. He led six laps as well, which if you're new to IndyCar, which we are, then you do get points for leading a lap at Indy, but not the other tracks, which is interesting as well. well you, yeah, it was it was a curious thing to, to get the head around. I think that was the most confusing part of the whole getting to grips with IndyCar last year was that the point system. So you would get points for, I think, pole position. I think you get points for fastest lap. You get points regardless of where you finish. Obviously, it decreases the further down you get. But then, yep. like you're saying, you do get points if you lead at least one lap. But I can't. But you were saying there was that not applicable for all of the races except the Indy 500 or the other way around? Well, actually. Because I seem to recall people in other, in other ones getting points just for leading a lap. I was like, this is... Okay. Or maybe it's point amplified. For, you get more points for leading laps in Indy because it's deemed a bigger race. I know there's qualifying points in the Indy 500 and there's lots given out. They have a massive qualifying day, which takes place mm. a week. Can you imagine a week before Indy? It's like a whole qualifying. I remember a long oh, time. I know, isn't that? Where he has, there's a whole day set up to it. Where imagine that, qualifying a week before the Japanese Grand Prix, for example. <laughs> a massive spectacle. Um so yeah, maybe I'm wrong on that. I think actually you do get points for leading every single race, but we'll you know we'll keep watching in 2023, and we're gonna add, this is how it works, isn't it? You know, the more we watch, the more we're gonna go get to grips with it. So we're no experts at the time, but that would be kind of boring in F1 if you think about it, because Max Verstappen would have ended Especially the at the moment because Jesus Christ, you'd have about a thousand points now. <laughs> Um, I'm glad in some ways I'm glad in F1 we don't get points for that and we don't get points quite interestingly in F1 I know it has been mooted a couple of times but you know you only get points for the top 10 and in, in IndyCar it seems you get points for sort of finishing I think you can even get points for you know retiring but you're in the top 15 or something like that but I'm, I'm sure that of, we know there's more points given out than F1 for sure I think the only time I would have liked it to be the case last year in Formula 1 would have been at the US Grand Prix where Vettel led a few laps just because then he could have jumped up a couple more places in the standings by the end of the season and Stroll wouldn't have screwed yeah. him over quite so badly. God, yeah, no, exactly. That would have been nice. But yeah, certainly in F1, I don't think that would work. Um, Venue-wise, and... though, um, I just, yeah. I'm just i curious there because I... I was familiar with some of the tracks, but not most of them. So it was nice to, to see a little bit different, a lot of street tracks, especially. And for me, I think the the highlight, which may also be your, your highlight as well, um, so apologies in advance if it is, was the Long Beach circuit for one particular reason, yeah. which do you want to tell the listeners why that is? Because I think we're both in agreement here, so I can throw it over to you and you will say the correct thing. <laughs> 
me and Timo are definitely on the uh, on the same wavelength here. Um, I can only be described as a few of the drivers went gardening and then ended up in a pond. Um, it the was a bizarre bit of a trek that they just there left there. E- there wasn't even any tech pro barriers around. If you slid off, you slid into what can be described as, you know, when you go down the motorway or you then end up at the, you know, end up at the roundabout and there'll be like a flower display on it and it'll say on there, best dressed flower display 2022 or something like that, you know, the, they would have won awards for the flowers on there, right? It looked like a pristine flower bed with a little hedge and then a fountain with a statue in it. And drivers could end up in that fountain or statue with no safety regard whatsoever. And amusingly, never... in the commentary, they were saying no one's ever crashed into that. And yeah, it was and just remarkable. Like... And then about two minutes later, as you say, the... <laughs> what happens? <laughs> it wasn't Gros. Was it Grosjean who ended up in there? I can't remember. I can't I want to say it was Grosjean. It was at least two or three people, though. Like once, once one of them started it, a lot more of them then decided, "Yeah, that looks like fun. Let's go crash into that as well." But there was no sort of, you know, ramifications of that. It was just, "Oh, they've ended up in there. Okay, that's them at the race." And here's an advert break. It was very American, but very light entertainment, which got me thinking. You know, is F one maybe too serious sometimes? I don't know. Obviously, it's a serious sport. There are certain safety features that you know need to be in place certain protocols that need to be in place for the race to happen safely and you know ensure that drivers don't get hurt but it was it was very different and it was very refreshing considering we probably watched before that the Azerbaijan Grand Prix or something you know that day so yeah yeah it was it was very it was very funny to see and I, I didn't expect to see it when I turned on the tv put it that way it certainly threw me off a little bit but I hope it's here to stay for me some other places that I quite like the look of Again, we mentioned Laguna Seca, just a very nice track. I mean, that corkscrew corner in particular is just chef's kiss. But for me as well, I quite enjoyed Portland. I think it was the the penultimate round of the season. Just a nice, nice track there. And it's quite amusing how it, it strikes me as a lot of them are Formula E style tracks, but without the barriers there. You just have runoff instead. And yeah. they, you can overtake, but it's very tricky at times. And there are a few corners, I think Grosjean in Portland was, was one where he went off a couple of times onto the grass because he was trying something a bit ambitious. But it was nice that you could at least attempt that and your race wouldn't be ruined completely because you had that had that runoff. Um, so I quite like that track. And what about you? Any other tracks that, that stood out? I'm going to go with the tracks that before the championship I'm a bit more familiar with. So you mentioned Laguna Seca there. Well, I've watched several videos on YouTube of just... Drivers taking several cars around that, even F1 cars, I think, have been taken around there before. So that was always good to see that corkscrew turn, as you say, amazing. Um, I've watched Road America before on just highlight clips of stuff. So I was aware of Road America. That's a nice track as well. Um, I like the, um, going back to F1, man, sorry to keep mentioning F1, but you know, <laughs> the, um, the infield Indy car section, I remember that in 2007. And I think that's actually quite a good track there. That might be the race of the season for me. Is that the um, wet race? race? The wet race. And it just yeah. made me think, you know, IndyCar doesn't race in the wet on ovals and understandable because it's mm-hmm. beyond the <laughs> but it rained there, rain came in and no one flapped and we had a wet race and no one was like, um, where's the red flag? Or there was no crofty shenanigans or there was no rain delay or we just got on with a wet race. And it just quite was an entertaining race as well. It was. It was fantastic to see. I, I thought there was a blanket rule where IndyCar didn't race in the rain at all. So that was something I learned last season is they can race in the rain if it's on on a non-oval track. So that was nice to see. So, but that track's good anyway. Um, I like the way it flows. It's got a nice flowing section. And obviously they use the, 
the final banking turn as well, which is always good to see. Um, any other tracks? I'm trying a few of them. I won't be able to remember. I can't remember Iowa, for example. I can't remember Gateway either. But yeah, St. Petersburg was a nice start to the season as well. I thought. Yeah, no, definitely. And just a couple of other things before we we finish off. Then there were some other things, IndyCar wise and coverage wise, that I quite liked in comparison to to other. Just not just from one, but just in in general in motorsport. And you were saying earlier about the Americanization of it. It was a little bit tacky at times, but it felt weirdly less American tacky than the stuff we got at Miami, for example. So I wonder if that was turned up a bit because of the Formula One. So I found myself less bothered by it in IndyCar, which was very curious. Um, the camera that they had, I'm trying to think whereabouts that. I think it might have been on the top of the the windshield. Um, it was kind of it was a three sixty degree more or less camera, and you got some brilliant shots of that when cars were overtaking each other because it would just turn very slowly, and it would be like the driver's head turning as you went past this person to just have a look at them as you're overtaking them. And yeah. I just found that a brilliant camera shot, and it's a shame that I don't think we have we don't have something like that in Formula One at the moment, and that would be quite a nice addition, I think. Um, I don't think they ever I don't think they ever tried to bring it in either. I don't ever remember something like that. No, just again something something small, but it was just very nice there. And I think you yeah, didn't was, overtake that camera to work though, or that camera to be necessary. That is also very true. Were <laughs> there any other little bits and pieces from the overall season, either on track or off, that you find yourself warming to that you maybe weren't expecting, or just some little nuggets here or there? Um I like one thing I did like going back to the coverage was when we went to the advert break, which if you're familiar with American sports and American TV, they happen once every five minutes, roughly. Or Yeah, that I wasn't a fan <laughs> If you watch NFL, for example, certainly I've watched it at WWE you know, years ago. There was always a lot of advert breaks and you had to put up with them. But the one thing I liked about this, and I think it's something that Sky brought in, so kudos to Sky for this. Maybe one thing they did right this year was was the fact that, you know, when we went to the US advert breaks, we would then have an you know, a commentator come in who would then lead us through the rest of the action and then we go back to the um the American broadcast. That was nice. So you got the full coverage rather than I'm guessing in America they get a rather reduced coverage. So maybe I would say you get a little box in the corner with the adverts. You get the adverts taking about three quarters of the screen so you can still see the racing but you have so you just squint a little bit depending on the the screen that you're watching it on. So you do get full coverage but you don't have any idea what's going on for about five minutes at a time. And and one the other thing I probably liked it was the length of the season. You know, a seventeen race season that brings you back to the nostalgic mm. days, you know, two thousand and nine in F one, whereby we didn't have to commit ourselves to twenty four races as we're going to have to do this year. And the season is a bit more condensed as well, which is which is quite a bit bit you know big off season, which maybe potentially is not so good. But you know, seventeen races. I think you know you can get invested in that without feeling burnout. Each race is very different. The tracks are very different. You're going to get a different winner each time. So. You know, I, I feel that, you know, going forward as we as we're probably going to watch IndyCar more and more over the coming years, we're going to be less and less bored and more involved and more entertained by, I think. Oh, definitely. And I think the closer we get towards the beginning of the season, I will circle back to Jacob and we've had a bit more time to think about it and get a couple of predictions from you for 23 and we'll stick a nice graphic up on our Instagram page and see how badly we've cursed said drivers and for which we can only apologize in advance for but the last thing i will say before we wrap up is that we may also check out the indie nxt category this year a little bit just because of a certain jamie chadwick having been signed up there so that would be interesting to see as well see what she can do and maybe they stick her in the indy 500 who knows so that'd be quite interesting as a one-off tester event um 
But aside from that, is there anything else you want to just mention quickly before we wrap up this episode? Uh, not really, apart from I can't wait until March the 5th. And if you're a motorsport fan, that's going to be a huge day on the calendar. Not, not only is it the start of the IndyCar season, it's the start of the F1 season. And me and Timo will be watching motorsport from about 8am till about 11pm that night. Because Formula 2 and Formula 3 start then as well. So that is going to be, book your sofas out now, make sure no one else is on your TV. And yeah, look forward to the, um, or is it, or is it start in February? No, it doesn't. No, no, it's, it's March, March 5th, don't March, worry. March 5th, there we go. Well, I'm getting confused there. Right, yeah, so March 5th, I can't wait for that. No, it's going to be a very good way to spend a Sunday, that's for sure. Well, thank you very much for joining myself again for this episode. Is there anything you want to plug, just on the off chance that it's not a pub? Um. Well, it's dry January at the moment, so I'm trying to stay away from a few pubs. Um, but if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's JacobPhil underscore JacobPhil18. Um, there's a few motorsport uh, predictions that I share on there, a few, you know, criticising certain things within the motorsport world, celebrating other things as well, and just some general laughs, really. If you want to laugh, come over to me on Twitter. As for myself, you can find me over on my other two multiple podcasts, On The Curbs, which will be coming back very soon with some brand new interviews as we are now entering the hundreds, which uh, in terms of number of episodes, which episode 100, strangely enough, Jacob was the interviewing me of all people. So go check that out as well. And we're going to be back very soon with Nitro RX episodes as the season's going to kick back off again as we go over to Canada. And everything else for where you can find both of us will be in the description for this episode. So go have a look there. And as for the Undercut podcast, we'll be back again well before the beginning of the Formula One season with some predictions, with some livery reviews and all that kind of good stuff in between. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. That will be it for this episode. Thank you very much, Jacob, for coming on again. And we will talk to you and see you all again very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.